Welcome to Coastline Church, seeking renewed faith in Humboldt County by being settled and secure in God's love. To learn more, visit coastlinefoursquare.com. If you are called Luke 15, it's about, that's great, because then you'll pay attention, because I don't want the familiarity have you turn me off. Uh, so it just starts with this. The tax collectors and missers, the literal Greek word is missers, but we, we use the word sinners, were all drawing near to listen to him. So Christ is hanging out with the tax collectors and the missers. And both the Pharisees and scribes began to complain, saying, this man welcomes sinners, and he even eats with them. Because in, in, in Judaic culture, you did not share meals with people you didn't think cut the grape. Like, Jews didn't hang out with Gentiles, and then, I mean, if you had a Jew, if they weren't doing well, you didn't put your arm around them, you actually kept a distance from them. <clears throat> so, then I'm just, this starts with 15.1. Uh, <clears throat> and this is an important opening. It, it is interesting how many times you see they will use that phrase. The, the tax collectors, or the tribute collectors, and the sinners were hanging out with Jesus and listening to him. It's, it's even interesting when you think of this group. Fran and I were talking about this earlier this week. It was, we talk about having to be around with people that we don't always seem to get along with. <clears throat> and it's interesting that with the apostles, you have Simon the Zealot. So he's like the, I guess in our days, we call him the ultra-leftist revolutionary. And then he's got the tax collector, who's in with Rome, who's like the ultra-right nationalist, like I'm in, with the, I'm in with the bad guys, and you know we're all the power. So you can't get more politically extreme, or even beyond that, socially extreme. And Jesus decides, yeah, we're putting those two right in the crew of 12. So it just, just to keep our minds broad, and when Jesus says unity, he definitely isn't talking about agreement the way the world thinks of it. Yeah. It's, it can be radically different. <clears throat> and this is radically different and hard in the Pharisees to see all these tax collectors and, you know, the, the missers. And I, I want to really draw it clear. And that's, so this, this last sentence I know reads awkward, but it's the literal. <clears throat> so, referring to the scribes and Pharisees, it says... He told yet toward them the parable this saying. Because it really helps if you remember, he is talking to the Pharisees and scribes with this parable. And actually, it's not really just a parable. It's actually two questions in a parable. <clears throat> so he, this, the whole rest of the chapter, <clears throat> sorry, are these two questions in the parable that goes with it. So the first question was, he asks, well, if you were a person with a hundred sheep and one gets lost, how are you going to handle it? Wouldn't you leave the 99, even if they're in the wilderness, and go and search for that one? And then when you found that one, you'd be excited and you'd put it up on your shoulders and you would carry it back. And you'd be rejoicing. And you'd tell all your friends and your neighbors how awesome it was that I got this sheep back. And he says an interesting phrase. There is more joy in rejoicing in heaven when a missed one, a misser, turns back than there is among the 99 or the large number who do not need repentance. Ours, I, I know it says it different in different versions, but the literal says, who have no need of repentance. 
And I think that's interesting because later on we'll think about it. Is there a 99 that don't need repentance? Yeah. Um, so that's the first question he asked them. Then he asked them another question. If there was a woman who had 10 drachmas, 10 silver coins, each coin's worth an entire day wage. If she has 10 coins and loses one, doesn't she light a candle and sweep through the whole house? Almost like it's almost the feeling of a panic, like she's looking everywhere to find it. And when she finds it, doesn't she rejoice and tell her families and friends, look, the silver coin that, I was that had been lost. Because there's more rejoicing among the angels over one that turns back than there is those that don't seem to need to turn back. Powerful, powerful questions. Then he has the parable. Again, he's addressing it to the Pharisees and scribes. And he tells the parable of a father who has two sons. And the younger son comes to the father and says, hey, my portion of the inheritance, I know you're not dead yet. That's kind of inconvenient for me. So I, I would like my share of the inheritance now. And to me, when he's telling the story, I think the scribes, Pharisees, most of us, when he gets to this next part, we'd almost want to interrupt him. So the father does that. And we'd almost want to say, well, stop. There's your father's first mistake. This, this, this young kid's coming up, or I don't know how old he is, but he's coming up and saying, I want my inheritance now. And you're going to do it? You're going to give it to him? And then he gives it to him. And then he only hangs out for a few days more. So after the young son gets his, his cut, his share of the inheritance, which may have been tricky to get because if, the, if a lot of the wealth in those days was in land. So either cash somehow or he has to sell something. Like it's, it's not going to be necessarily an easy thing to get him his inheritance. And then he only hangs out for a few days more. Um, it says, a few days later, the young son gathered all he had, took a journey to a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Right? We're familiar with the story. Uh, you know, it's, we call him often the prodigal son. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that pigs ate, and no one would give him anything. Okay, so he squandered it all, famine arrives. I know a lot of us are somewhat familiar with this story. But when he came to himself, and that word came to himself as when he started to think rationally. So when he started thinking rationally, he said to himself, I love my dad and I really miss seeing him. I miss my family and I wonder how everyone is back home. No. That is not all what he says, right? <laughs> and I say that because it's really important to get this. 1 John 4.19 says, we love God only because or or primost is actually the word the Greek is, foremost, the reason, the whole initiator of us loving God is he loved us first. So, so he wasn't like, oh yeah, I love my dad, I miss him, I'm going to head back home. No, that, that wasn't his heart at all. What he said was, how many of my father's tired servants have more than enough bread and I perish here with hunger? I will arise, go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Nothing about love or missing the father. He's making a whole plan of a speech because he's still out for him. He ran out of money, but he's realizing, oh, I'm, I'm going to go back to him because this is just logical. We, we just sang the song, I'm trading my sorrows. Yeah, that's it's actually a pretty awesome trade. It's like, 
almost you want to say grandma raised no dummies. Uh, I, I can trade what I have for what others have. And I've even had people say, well, you got to learn to surrender at all. And I kind of laugh and say, dude, you have nothing that good anyway. So, <laughs> so what are you really surrendering to God? <clears throat> so it's not exactly a, a full heart of compassion, but he's driven to go back to him. So he arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and his heart went out to him. It talks of the actual term is he felt deep, deep compassion. Like it, it was a gut hurt and a, and a gut heart. It's a feeling. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. The literal is he fell on his neck. I mean, like he ran and jumped almost like a picture almost tackling a guy. He is like, the father is seeing him off at a distance, which makes you think the father's looking at him, or looking for him, I mean. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And it's almost like the father is not even listening to that. It's like, yeah, I, I know you prepared your speech. But he says, hey, servants, quickly bring a robe. Bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf the special calf for big parties, kill it, let's eat and celebrate. Almost like, I know you prepared a speech, but I don't really care about that. I'm just so glad you're here, we're gonna party. And, and I know there's a lot of symbolism in the robe and the ring, but I really don't wanna get into that. I wanna stay on the main point here. Um, this sentence is so powerful to me. We're gonna have a party for this, my child, the literal is the son of me, meaning, yeah, it's his son, but also mean the son that came out of me, like the one who's part of me. This, my son, the child of mine, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they all began to celebrate. I've heard people say, like, oh, you got to make sure you really preach, like, repentance and, you know, what's your heart and are there ulterior motives? His alternative was just he came to his senses and said, I'm better off being a servant than doing what I'm doing now. He didn't have to check some box of, oh, I have great compassion and love, and that's why God will love me. The Father's heart is, yeah, I know you have your reasons, but I have my reasons. And my reason is you're a child of mine. And that's all the reason I need. But I did all, yeah, I, I mean, he doesn't even seem to ask him where the money went. He doesn't see, I mean, he obviously knows he doesn't have much because they got to get him sandals and the road. Child of mine. That's who you are, child of mine. And they begin to celebrate. And everything's going great for a while. Uh-oh, did I break this? There we go. Now, his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Now remember, the older son, just just give you the, the whole awareness, the way Jewish culture worked. The oldest son was responsible for things when the father died, like even taking care of family or things. And because of that, the oldest son always got double portion. And in some cases, even if it's a land and there was only so much land, he would get all of it because he's responsible to take care of the family. So when he divided the portion up, it's reasonable to think the younger son got a third because two thirds is the older son's. And I think it's important because I do want to be practical I can kind of get the older son thing is, okay, you took the third and gave it away to him. The son comes back. How are you going to support the son now? His third's gone. 
So you end up with this little thing here of, yeah, this, this is going to cost the, the older brother something. But what's so exciting is he called on one of the servants and asked what these things, asked what these things meant, meaning the music and dancing. He said to them, your brother has come and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And that is just such good news. Except he gets angry and refuses to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. I, this is about amazing love for younger sons. But I, I'm going to repeat this because I really want us to get this. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Or sorry, the, the scribes. Which of the two sons do you think they are? The older. The older. So Jesus is talking to the older sons, and here the father comes out and entreats the older sons. So it is about the love of the father, but it's not just about the love. We often emphasize the love of the father for the prodigal, but it's not talking about the love of the father for just one son. So he entreats him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have Love being a part of your family and doing things just to see the joy in your face. It means everything, it means everything to me to have all these years with you. That is not what he says. Okay, It'd be beautiful if he said that. But what he says is, look all these many years, I have served you. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours returns who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. You see, there it's saying, when this son of yours comes in. So he was a faithful son. I think he, I mean, I think he was very responsible. I can relate to this because honestly, my my family, and I, and I, I value this, Connor Thomas even a today, our families really taught us to work hard. I mean, I had, I had families who had to work, who had to be responsible. And they pass on to their kids. We work hard. We had, you know, we worked with a sense of duty. And there was some blessing in it, but I also had to change. Like I, I had, to, I had 20 years of walking with Jesus and knowing that we're, you know, our, the whole idea of my values based on who I am. He loves me unconditionally. It's not on performance. I'd hear that. I'd even get in sermons on it. But I had known the Lord for like 20 years before it finally really hit me. Like, wow. I really function on a lot of duty and performance. Yeah. I, I do a lot of stuff out of duty and commitment. Mm -hmm. And it does sound bad in itself, but it's not what God's really after. Yeah. And he said to them, the, and this is the thing I want us to get, is the fathers replied to the older sons. Or in this case, older son, but I think of all of us as, as kids. Because I think there were times where like the prodigal, I think there's times where like the older one. He says to him, son, he still calls him son. The son did not just say, hey, God, I've, been, I've just really been glad I've had all these years with me. What he really finished saying was, I have dutifully served you. And like, hey, it would pain me, but I have obeyed you, even though I'd like to jam out of here. So he's not exactly speaking like, oh, Dad, it's been great being with you. He's like, hey, this son got to go off and party, and I was stuck here with you. But the father's reply is, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother. Remember, he referred to him, the older son said, this son of yours. And he's saying, no, this brother of yours. 
Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is a powerful story of love. And I'm glad that God, when we go off the rails, he runs to us. That, that we can turn our minds, we can turn our hearts to him. That he loves us first. And even if my motives aren't great, he doesn't care. I'm still turning my face towards him. I also like the fact that God loves older brothers. When we get caught up in our duty and the things that we do and the things we think are so important and we seem to be faithful and, you know, together or whatever. He still loves us as sons, too. I, uh, I mean, I really have had to learn. Uh, I'd say, I mean, I did actually, and I've talked about some encounters before, but in my late 40s, there were encounters that really helped me get a hold of this idea of I really want to give up doing anything for God. And I did. I was like, God, I quit. I'm not going to do anything for you. I'm not going to do any big thing for you. I'm not even sure I'm going to do a little thing for you. And I felt like God's heart to me was finally, because now you can do all things with me. You don't have to do anything for me. I just want you to do all things with me. Yes. No, I, I'm beating it up, but Jesus directed this message to who? Pharisees. The Pharisees and the scribes, the big brothers. Not a trick question. <laughs> Father with two sons. How many sons were lost? Two. Yeah. Yeah. The big brother was just as lost as the little brother. <clears throat> One, through chaos, ran into life and found out this isn't working. <clears throat> the other, through life and commitment and hard work, his heart gets revealed of he's missing it too. Is, is this whole sense of a relationship on duty, this whole sense of transaction. Well, I'll put in my time, I'll work hard, I'll be dutiful, and then I'll get the reward for it. That isn't the Father's heart. Now, I'm not saying there aren't rewards. I'm, I'm talking about a heart issue. I'm talking about what God is after in, in his heart with us. Because <clears throat> there are times on the outside, laying for me, uh, I even had a young person, well, younger, younger than me, not really young, but back when I was in my 40s, and I was talking about wrestling with heart issues and like really wanting to be changed. And the reply was, I don't get it. You're doing fine. In fact, you are what I aspire to be someday. Like I want to get where you get. Because on the external, it all looked fine. But I knew on the inside, I was still duty driven. There were still disappointments. There was still striving. There was still something I knew not quite right. <clears throat> and what happens is, Instead of just a compelled by love, and I'm not talking about we have to feel ooey and gooey to walk with God. What I'm saying is sometimes the hard thing is we think it's a transaction. And, oh, I didn't say that later. But in the transaction mindset, what happens is what gives it away to us sometimes is expectations. And that's what was spoke to me about this, this whole, this chapter. And, and just thinking about this message was... The prodigal, I'm sorry, the older brother's expectations revealed what was messing him up. Because he's going, you were celebrating with your son who flaked out. I've been the one that has stayed responsible, and I'm not getting what I expect. And that's often what, what actually is the hard reveal for us. Is sometimes when we don't know we're in an older brother mindset, it's because things go bad. And part of us kind of freak out like, wait a minute, I was doing everything all right. 
and it still went bad. Uh, friends that were talking about that, uh, the friends that were in business, well, actually, he still is in business, and he was saying, yeah, you see guys that you wonder because they do everything right, and the business still goes broke. Just things happen, there was no way anybody could control or foresee, and it went broke. There are other guys, they do everything wrong, and then it's like money falls from heaven, and they end up golden. And he said, it's almost like there's a scripture that says prosperity is a gift from the Lord is actually true. But since it's a gift, we can't expect it as if it was something we earned. Make sense? So what I'm going to ask you is really to be honest with the Lord and ask him to speak to you. Are there older brother tendencies with you? And I, I'm not going to go into all the details, but like even the way you look at the quote younger brothers. Now like I say, if we're honest, we all have had the younger brother times in our life and we've had the older brother times in our life. But are there tendencies, expectations, ways of looking at things, ways of reacting to hard things that maybe are revealing an older brother tendency that we are still somehow relying on something about ourselves instead of it's all based on that he loves first. Because the whole walk with Jesus is we're constantly responding to his love. We're constantly receiving, even when we don't feel it, we're receiving his love and responding based on that. When we get off of that and we start trying to make things happen, it gets in a dangerous place. Make sense? Okay, good. Because right now we're having a quiet time. <laughs> I'm just actually now just ask the Father. This father that runs to you when you've made a mess of things, but you've turned back. The father that still says, son, all I have is yours. When you got a little independent and maybe thought you were a hot stuff when you weren't. So I'm just asking you now, just ask father, what would you like to speak to me? you whatever came to mind um, I didn't bring out papers and notes but write it down okay one of the one of the most practical things students tell me they've learned about hearing God's voice is that I drill on them when you get an impression write it down <clears throat> it could be really personal so this is not a pressure but does anybody want to share something about this passage, about what you think the Father's saying. Go ahead. Well, my dad was a very talented man, and he could do anything literally. He was a very, very talented man. Only went to the eighth grade, so he was just self-taught, just capable man. And um, so 
what I learned. However, um, when I he would give me an order to do something, I would do it. He would come behind me and redo it because it wasn't good enough. It wasn't acceptable enough, and I and I just kind of lost heart to do anything. So what it, what I did do was I tried harder and I tried harder to win his approval, and and uh, and so that followed me all my life. Try harder, work harder, you know, be that duty bound uh, daughter, and so uh, and that follows you right into your uh, Christian walk. And so what I have just found lately is that I, that I have been studying and reading books on the subject of just relax. I think that's my word is relax in the Lord's love. There's nothing I can do to make it more and there's nothing I can do to make it less. He is love and he accepts me just me. Just me. Yeah, go ahead, Frank. I had this expectation that the Lord was going to say, I love you, but, you know, that kind of thing. I, I love you, but. And so I was like getting, uh, I was bracing myself for it, you know. And I just, uh, it was kind of like a banner in my mind's eye. And it was, a, it was just like, I love you, you know. And it was just really pounding in large letters. And then, uh, couple of things popped into my brain and he said and just let that go and that was oh. it and it was so it was like oh wow lord oh wow good <coughs> yeah um <clears throat> i relate a lot to the older brother um because i am very motivated by task and motivated by accomplishment and so Oftentimes, I put that expectation on other people as well. Um, but through this, um, your talk today, uh, he's basically, what is the posture of your heart and everything that you do? It's That's okay good. to be motivated by accomplishment and task um, and, and be okay with that. Um, but what is my posture? What is the posture of my heart? So. Good. Right. So, you all know how squirrely I am, so I I might feel like I've been the prodigal most of my life, right? And then you come back, and you got the older brother and the judgment that comes from the older brother. So, in my season right now, especially in dealing with some things with my parents, I'm finding myself trying to do things because I feel like I'll be judged if I don't do things. Does that make sense? Because I've been the squirrel, right? So now it's like, okay, squirrel, you're back in the family. So now we have expectations on you or we're gonna, you know, be mad or whatever. And what I'm finding is the Lord is saying, you know, peace, peace. I'm not asking you to do that. So it doesn't really matter what other people's expectations are. It doesn't matter what the older brother thinks you should do, princess. Just focus on me. I'll let you know what your role is and have peace. That's good. 
a good friend once said he thinks sometimes his his take is insurance sometimes we make a big mistake because we start acting even though we don't say it we start acting like our goal is to take prodigal sons and make them the older brother and it's like no the, the answer isn't to turn the young brother into an older brother that's not the answer no well that's a really good thing because that's not working for me yeah <laughs> i just cannot fit in that box yeah. <clears throat> yeah. um linda i just because i don't want to come across i want to use this mic is this mic still on Will you do me a favor, Linda? I'd like you to come up and read Matthew 11, 28 to 30. I was trying to do this, but after hearing all well, four of you talk, because this was the verse that came to my mind when I asked God, what is it you'd say to the older brothers, the older responsible ones? So yeah, you can use that one. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lonely and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Read it again. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lonely, lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Thank you, Amen. So the heart. I just asked God, okay, God, why am I giving you this message? Like, why is this, what is your word? And that's what I felt he gave me was my message to us when we're acting like older brothers is even like you said earlier, it's like, just look to me. And it's, my yoke will fit you. One of the Simpson older brothers, you're trying to make stuff happen that you can't make happen. And my burden's actually light. Amen? Thank you for joining us today at Coastline Church. To find out more information, please visit coastlinefoursquare.com.